Hi, and welcome to Gamers Explain, a channel dedicated to tabletop role-playing games, particularly play-by-post using gamersplain.com. In the segment Player vs. Player, I interview users from Gamersplain in order to find out how people use the service and engage in play-by-post gaming. Hopefully, we will learn from each other and improve our own games, and maybe have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, I have Player vs. Player, where I will interview a user named Hero Among Men, and we will discuss whatever we want. Following the interview, there will be a Meme of the Week, QQ and AA, my own version of viewer mail, Aussie Action News, and then Krolakian Lore, a short tip and trick to using GamersPlay.com. I'm Krolak, and this is Episode 6 of Gamers Explain. Hi, and welcome to Gamers Explain, Player versus Player. Today I have GamersPlay user, Hero Among Men. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you, Krolak? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Nice. We had a huge thunderstorm here, lightning, um, black skies. Was I thought for sure we might have to uh, postpone because recording during an electrical out, <laughs> electrical storm here is always dodgy. But it passed. Oh, thank goodness. We're pretty good over here. I'm in California right now, so. Yeah. <clears throat> so you don't get a lot of thunder there, do you? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> not really. I do miss it. I lived in on the East Coast for a little bit, and I had a few um, thunderstorms in the summertime today. I actually enjoyed them quite a bit, even though they were a little tumultuous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so you've been on Gamers Plane for a few years now. And I have. Do you recall how you found it in the first place? Yeah, I was listening to an actual play podcast of Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I can't remember the name of the podcast now. It was a long time ago. Um, but they happened to give a shout out to Gamers Playing as this cool place to do play by post. And I was actually chomping at the bit to, to play more. I didn't have a really big gaming community. I had actually discovered... Uh, tabletop role-playing games a couple years before that and just didn't have a lot of opportunity to discuss it and play it and so I was looking for anything I could to kind of scratch that itch so to speak and so podcasts was the start and then when this gamers playing was uh, presented to me I thought oh my gosh this is great you know I can do this during work I can you know my break times and things like that it was really cool to, to have an opening up of a community that, that I could enjoy this pastime with. Now, you've played mostly fifth edition, at least on Gamers Plane, um, in, yeah. real, in real life as well? Uh, for the most part. I, I've dabbled in some other, you know, Dungeons and Dragons based systems. So Pathfinder, first and second edition. I was actually really big into the play test when Pathfinder was playtesting second edition. So we actually had some in-person um, games where we were playtesting and doing the um, their surveys and things like that. Um, I've dabbled in a couple of other systems. So I tried Shadowrun. That was one that I was interested in playing. Uh, I played that on Gamers Plane. Um, and then I did a Lasers and Feelings game, which was incredibly fun, despite <laughs> being as lightweight as it is. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean that's kind of my foray. I play a lot of 
like board game tabletop games that, that were pretty obscure in college, but not tabletop role playing until about 2015. So, how did you? Um, somebody asked me once about asking users about their usernames because they all seem sometimes they seem fairly obvious, like there's somebody's name, <laughs> and sometimes they're very obscure, like mine. Uh, yours is looks like it has a story. <laughs> Hero among men. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really have much of a story behind that one. I thought it was, I must have been reading a book. And yeah. like, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> um, my typical uh, username is actually Chief 12 Justice. And I was actually, um, when I first started Gamers Playing, that was my username. Um, I actually had some tumultuous things happen about a year and a half later and um, had to bow out quickly from all of my games. And then life got back to normal and I felt really awkward because I was chomping at the bit to play again, but I had ghost, you know, I, I told people that I was leaving, but it was a really abrupt departure and I didn't want to have to deal with the, the awkwardness of, talking to people and kind of come back. So I created a, a new username to kind of ease my way back into the, the group. So. Yeah, in the interview with, with Len, we uh, talked a little bit about that and, and how um, there is kind of this good way and bad way to leave the site. And, um, you know, if you say goodbye, that's a good way. <laughs> if you just disappear and months later, people are like, well, this user still has is still in our game, but he's now got Zed's bias. <laughs> so he's right. been active for a month. That's a bad way. Right. Yeah, I know. It's it's a tough thing, especially with online communities. With you know, it's kind of weird that we have this pseudo con confidential, anonymous relationship with you. And you know, sometimes it, it gets a little bit, you know, it's awkward. It's it's different than face-to-face -face interactions, right? Yeah. Um, where you see my face in church, for instance, as an example, or if I don't show up for two months and then I'm there, people notice you're gone, you know? But, um, you know, it's, it's awkward too, just because, you know, the online society, we're not really aware of our lives outside. We're aware that it exists, but... Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to burden people with, with the drama of your lives. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, but. yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so you've been playing uh, mostly D&D, tried some other things. Do you have anything you would consider to be like a, a dream that you're chasing, like a, a perfect game? Yeah, I mean... I've thought about this for a few years now as I've like tried to build homebrew and kind of think through that process. Um, I've come to the conclusion that I really like sandbox settings. And so my ideal game would probably be a sandbox in Eberron. So sort of Westmarsh-esque where you have like open completely open and you know you could have multiple dms like just curating this world and building villains in various areas and having people kind of come in and out naturally um 
my in-person gaming group meets pretty infrequently. We only play once a month due to scheduling conflicts. We're all adults. I'm 35 years old. We have some older, some younger with young families. And so it gets really complicated and tumultuous, right? Yeah. But I have this itch. And so I'd love to play more games with more people. And so that Westmarsh thing kind of appeals to me. But having a, I really love Eberron since Wayfinder's Guide was written. I've read all of the source books back since the beginning, since, you know, 3.5 when Keith Baker first wrote the setting. And I was really excited about it. And so I would love to rub an, run an Eberron world with multiple DMs and have like this, have an overarching thing where people can still come in and out as, as they can, sort of an Adventures League kind of setting. That would be my idea of it. That's interesting. I, I hear the term West Marches all the time, but I have no idea where that actually comes from. Like uh, where, what, what the um, origin story of what a West Marches thing is. It's now just a description of a kind of game, but. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard about it from, must, might've been Matt Colville. Or, you know, may, maybe it was somewhere else, but the concept really intrigues me because of the fact that you're not reliant on specific people to be there all the time. You know, it's kind of, we're building this world together. And West Marches is really interesting for homebrew because you're exploring this, the outside world. And in that process, like I loved the concept when I heard about it the first time, like basically the players are creating their, they're drawing their own map in the central tavern. That's the headquarters, right? but they might be drawing it wrong or remembering it wrong. Hmm. And so the DM's map might be slightly different. They might, you know, travel to a different place than what they're intending to or hear about or read about. And so it's just really cool, the concept, I think, of, you know, because in our games, there, there's often this line of trying to create, oh, what do you call it? Um, you try to, like suspend disbelief, you create this pseudo real world, right? And in most fantasy settings, it's an ancient world or at least a medieval, you know, esque world. And maps weren't great then, but our maps are beautiful and perfect and curated. And, you know, so to have this random cartography errors causing exploration issues is pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> sandboxing is tough um in in my homebrew games i do it exclusively no matter what i'm doing it's a sandbox i'm really just setting up the players and then following their lead and reacting and the story evolves entirely around their choices um <clears throat> but on play by post i've had very mixed success with sandboxing and in the game we played together which was princes of the apocalypse which is a, you know, a, a published adventure by Wizards of the Coast, it's actually set up fairly sandboxy. And I didn't really realize that when I started running it in that there's really a lot of, there isn't a lot of um, motivation built into the characters through the book. You kind of had to bring that in. And I think I, we struggled a little bit, at the, especially at the beginning of getting the characters motivated because 
it was more sandboxy. You could pick whatever direction you want, explore things in different order. And um, I was really expecting, you know, railroads. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's one of the things that I prefer about Pathfinder, like Adventure Pass and things like that, because they they do release that player's guide or whatever to prepare you for the adventure. And they have those, you know, character backgrounds that really yep. help even, even in a sandboxy adventure, similar to like, like I listened to the glass cannon podcast where they, they're going through the giant slayer adventure path, you know, even though those backgrounds are tied to, you know, killing giants, like there's still sandbox elements to the, the adventure in, in the middle of the adventure that are, but you know, having that player's guide really helps center the players and gives them ba enough background to like plunge in. Whereas I, I notice a lot with 5e adventures, especially from Wizards, they don't have that so much. They might give you a custom background in the book, but it's not the same thing. Like Ghost of Saltmarsh has a couple of sea-based backgrounds, the sailor, the marine and whatnot. But that doesn't really help you like get invested in the world and hit the ground running and role-playing necessarily unless you have a good dm that's able to to bridge that gap i think D, &D is you know especially the way i use it um overwritten but written well so for example the backgrounds we use them as like kits okay we well get this kind of you get a couple skills maybe some gear you know maybe a special ability but really written and applied the way they're written, the background does provide you that link to the game. And that's what it's meant to do, right? It's putting your, putting your character firmly into the world, sure. using that as a guideline to establish things. And I don't think I've ever done that with players in fifth edition, um, use the actual background character option. And yeah, like verbatim or whatever, yeah. Yeah, instead of it's just like a part of your class or it's just, you know, it's tools you've got available rather than background. <laughs> right, right. That's true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of stuff in 5th edition that is probably very powerful when used properly. But I just skip over because... <laughs> I'm just telling a story. The players are doing their own stuff. The rules schmools. <laughs> yeah, I hear you there. So what? What do you? So you played Pathfinder. You play tested Pathfinder two. Mm -hmm. uh, you've played mostly fifth edition in your current uh, persona. Right. What? What is? What really draws to you to keep coming back to fifth edition? Um, to be honest, so I, I kind of feel, it feels similar to like the Apple effect. I, I don't know what it's officially called, but you know, when you, you use Apple products, you buy Apple products and now you're invested in Apple products, right? And so I have music purchased and things like that. I feel that's the same way a little bit with fifth edition. Fifth edition is a very popular system. So it's, there's a lot more availability of people willing to run games yeah. and to play them. Um, for a long time, my, my biggest issue with, with playing tabletop role-playing games in general was that I didn't feel like I was strong enough to be a, a dungeon master. And so 
looking as a player to jump into a game, 5e is just so much more prevalent than, than other systems. Um, I didn't, you know, at the time when I was first starting, I didn't really feel like I was confident in the rules. And even now, I feel very confident in the 5e system, whereas like jumping into Shadowrun or some other system that's, especially those heavier systems, it's a larger learning curve. And so it's hard to like get that ball rolling. Um, so that's probably why I've focused on 5e. Um, just, you know, familiarity with, this, with the rule set, you know, and, and there's a lot because the community is so large, there's a lot of stuff in like the DMs Guild and things like that. Some cool homebrew rules that sometimes I leverage um, that are well written. I don't have to think about it. I have a lot of work, you know, outside of the gaming community. I've got, I've got a demanding job. I've got a big family that influences a lot of my time. I have other responsibilities outside of those two things as well. And so, you know, not having to write my own rule set for some, something makes it, makes it something I, I, I gravitate to as opposed to trying to build rules from scratch. I'm not a game designer. And I want to make sure it's relatively balanced and things like that too. So. I largely steer clear of fifth edition on gamers playing. And the reason is um, not that I think it's a poor game, um, I've said in another interview that in our real life games, D and D is half of the games we play. Like we and we play, we play you know, much different, lots of different games, but we always keep coming back to D and D. And there's a good, there's a good reason for that. It, it it provides something in gameplay that I'm not really sure exists in many other games, and I call those mini games. So well, I'll just walk you through that, and you can you can argue with me. <laughs> so leveling up in D&D is a mini game. It's a process, right? There's lots of, there's choices. You start flipping through books. You're like, oh, I, I could multi-class into this. I could do this. You know, I get to pick spells or, you know, I choose a, a, an archetype or a, um, you know, character options. Fifth edition is kind of, other than multi-classing, wheedled some of that mini game down a lot of your choices are level one and level three and then yeah <clears throat> but so you've got the leveling up mini game you've got the tactical miniatures game the combat system is robust you can uh -huh. do all kinds of crazy things with it it's not the most robust out there but it certainly has a lot of tools in the in the toolkit um there's uh lots of other examples of what i would call mini games within the game and so D&D brings all those together, dungeons, mapping, exploration rules, um, kingdom management even to some degree, be able to create monsters, encounter design. You just go on and on and on about different ways you can, uh, you can engage parts of D&D as, as a mini game in its own. And other games don't really do that. They focus on the core, which is role-playing, you know, players sitting around a table, hashing out ideas in an imaginary setting and convincing each other what they're telling each other is true. <laughs> <laughs> but they're sometimes usually usually lacking some of those other mini games that D&D does so well at. Sure. 
And, you know, the, the unique thing about 5e that I, well, just Dungeons and Dragons in general, but especially with the 5e realm that I've discovered is, you know, the, there are some of those elements that I, I don't enjoy that are, you know, I enjoy the mini game aspect as well. Like you mentioned, leveling up and the character choices. Character building is, I think, probably my biggest enjoyment. Just, yeah. I have like, you know, I, I, I have probably 15 games running right now. I have probably 70 or 80 characters that I've made that I haven't deleted because I enjoy the concept. <laughs> and I'm just waiting for a game to like bring this guy in. <laughs> and like, I enjoy that aspect a lot. And that was actually a big pain point with me for 5e. That's why uh, I had our game group explore Pathfinder playtest um, because I really enjoyed the character customization element. Um, and 5e, they kind of pared that down a little bit. Skills is, is not something that, that's really explored um, or, you know, the minutia of skills and being like super skilled in 5e is just a matter of taking a class or a feat that gives you expertise and that, that didn't really jive well with me you know just little things like that but I like 5 or 5e also because you can there are enough systems that have branched off from it or that it has branched off of that you can borrow rules back or forward there's a lot of cross compatibility with other systems so if you like an element you can bring it into 5e you know and I just don't see that with a whole lot of other systems, like you mentioned, because the core is different, like you said. Um, yeah, that's a very good observation. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I think I sat down once and I listed like eight different mini games within D&D. And uh, it's our, where you draw those lines is arguable, of course. And, but I like to argue. <laughs> and, you know, going along with that too, you know, I, I noticed that D&D, because it has those different components, it caters to a lot of different personality types at the table right. or on the online forum, which is a big thing, right? I have a lot of like engineering focused guys who are very into the, the crunch of the mechanics to the point where like they want to homebrew everything about combat and change things in 5e. And then there are the people that care more about having an engaging story and being a cool character in a story. And so like, it has a little bit of that for everybody, um, which, which I think draws part of the reason why there's so many that are drawn to that system over others. Yeah, so on Gamers Plane, D&D 5th Edition is the most popular game. It's the most requested game from, from users and it's the most popular game for new games showing up. So it, it clearly works well in the gamers play, in the play by post environment. And it's mm -hmm. probably true on other sites as well. Um, do you think there's anything about fifth edition that lends itself well to play by post gaming? Or is it really, like you said, kind of the Apple effect is that people wanna play fifth edition and they'll use whatever tool set they can find um, I think there's a little of both. I think the Apple effect is, is definitely present, right? But I, I do think that there is a lot of flexibility that, a, that the 5e system allows for. 
So like, for example, if I were to play a Pathfinder game, there's a lot of crunch in combat. There's a lot of crunch in character choices and skill usage. And a less experienced GM might have a difficult time with that crunch, especially with a play-by-post system that takes a lot of time to interact with people, right? It, you, you have interactions anywhere from within minutes of each other to within days of each other. And that, that time lag and the invariability of that time lag causes some problems when you have a lot of crunch, unless you're doing a whole lot of accounting on the back end to make sure that you remember. And, you know, 5e has flavored their, their system where if a dungeon master doesn't want that crunch, they don't have to worry about it. And it's, you know, it's almost written in the DMG that it's your game, you do what you want. Yeah. You, you know, you know that that's, we all know that that's the way that a dungeon, ma dungeon master manages their game. But especially when you're young, when you're inexperienced, it's, it's harder to do that. You want to, you have different con concept of what being a good DM is. And so that doesn't necessarily translate well in a system that's very rigid, um, whereas 5e is a lot more open. I, I find that in that lasers and feelings game that I was playing in, it was very easy and play by post, very rules light. Um, I find that a lot of my, in my experience, a lot of the Pathfinder games that I have played online on Gamers Playing have tapered off pretty quickly. And I attributed a little bit to some of that crunch um, in the mechanics. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm playing a, I'm running a fourth edition D&D game on Gamers Plane, and this is a really crunchy system. It was right. um, very tactical, very robust tactically, which requires a lot of knowledge and engagement by the players and the DMs. I think the, the undercoring, the underpinning rule set is powerful. And um, <clears throat> I think it was skipped by a lot because of a, a seeming focus on, on the crunch. Mm -hmm. But we ran, so we ran the first combat and it was tricky. Like there's some tool sets we used to make sure we had a grid available that the players could interact with, you know, with okay. obstacles and terrain and whatnot. And um, we, used, so we used on the fly battlemap.com or otfbm.com, which is really simple um, tool that you can use in a play by post. And I'll have to do a video on it sometime because it adds that grid element. Which, mm -hmm. which is so important in tactical games and in, in combat. Right. But part of the other thing is managing buffs, right? Like, like you said, when there can be a combat could last weeks and then you're like, oh, the cleric cast prayer two weeks ago and that's still in effect. Wow, how did <laughs> I forget that? <laughs> right. it's, only, it's only 55 posts before like i should should be the top of my mind right and, and there isn't an automatic easy way to do that you have to right. kind of put footers at the bottom of all your posts giving status effects and some gms are really good at that knowing how important it is they put the time in i run games on my phone so that becomes very very awkward 
For sure. I can't just have tabs open and copying and pasting easily. Anyway. Yeah. When I was uh, commuting into the office, it was a lot of phone play. Um, and that was, that is definitely a struggle, especially when you're a, um, a GM running a game. It's a lot more difficult than if you're a player per se, but you know, you know your character pretty well. And so it's pretty easy to remember what you have done. You, you know, you're managing one person as opposed to a GM that's running, you know, an infinite amount of possibilities yeah. plus the players. And uh, yeah, I, I've, you know, since, since the pandemic, I've been blessed to work from home. So I'm a lot on my computer when I play a lot more. And there's a lot of tools. There was actually a tool that um, a newer, I don't know if he was newer or not, uh, you know, the gamer Adam. Yep. Um, so he built a Chrome extension that I use pretty heavily. And it's, it's pretty good. It's kind of alleviated some of the pain points that I was experiencing with some of this combat crunch that you mentioned. I was running a game. Um, I just ended it maybe, I want to say a month or two ago. Um, I was running um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Uh, yep. And I was running into some issues with Roll20. You know, the load times with Roll20 was having was being a problem. I primarily use a work computer, and so they were blocking game usage on Chrome, but not on Firefox. So I had to use a different browser for one or the other. And then it was screenshotting and, you know, trying to upload into IMGUR. And, you know, like all of those pain points were causing problems. And, you know, so I, I was tired of all that. I ended that game, but I've been running, I resurrected a, call it the Summer of Flames. I'm basically running um, Red Hand of Doom for fifth edition. Yeah. The 3.5. Um, and I've been using Alvar Rodeo. I don't know if you've heard of that um, mapping tool. It's actually by far, easier than roll 20 for me and like uploading images taking screenshots it's just so easy to do and then with adam's extension it's just really easy to upload to iron uh, i don't have to actually upload it and copy a link over it just does all of that in javascript in the back end and it's really handy and so you know any tools that you can really find to improve and reduce the amount of mental overhead you have or manual overhead with that crunch that I'm talking about makes for a play by post experience that is just so much more enjoyable. It's so much easier because we enjoy creating the characters. We don't necessarily enjoy having to memorize everything as it's yep. going on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The Adam's tool I use, um, backfill a lot because i always especially running a game you need to refer to prior posts you know like what did i name that person you know or uh you know what was the, what was the uh, arbitrary bonus i gave them on attack rolls yep. <laughs> i just make i make that stuff up just entirely right <laughs> there's no balance and anyway um so it's your game so you hit uh so hit backfill and it shows the 20 prior posts and adds it to the current page without reloading anything. 
just right. brilliant stuff. It adds so much versatility to the site and with quick single buttons. So yeah, mm -hmm. it really, um, really helped me out for sure as well. Yeah. And like you said, the Imgur um, adding button, I use that all the time as well. Yeah. The other thing that I really enjoyed that he brought in is when you're editing a post and it shows you the previous roles right there, it's, that's a game changer too. Cause I would always have to go back check what my real result was, copy it in a Word document so I could <laughs> refer to it. Like, ah, uh, just so many little things that that extension does. I'm really grateful to him for, for building one, that. The one thing I haven't used yet are his snippets. So I used it for a particular character who was playing a, a game with Len. He was the DM for... Uh, Ever on one shot where we're going into space. And I had a Warforged character. And so I was using a bunch of formatted text for all of my stuff for a while. So I used the snippet for that because it like required a background color and bold and larger fonts and like all this extra stuff that was a pain in the butt to have to type out. Um, actually, uh, I got a brand new computer because my, my work computer got, um, had a battery issue that was outside of warranty. So I lost that snippet. I was really bummed about that. So <laughs> that's about the only time I've used the snippet though. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you think there's, um, what do you think there's one thing that every gamers playing user should know if you had just one piece of advice to give somebody other than install Adam's extension on Chrome or Firefox <laughs> <laughs> or on Kiwi browser on your mobile. <laughs> Not an app. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I mean, what to know, I think, is that there are a lot of great gamers out here. Um, but we're all... I think the biggest thing to take away is that we're all kind of in the same boat. Like we were drawn to this website for a reason, right? For, for most of us, we were wanting to scratch that, that itch that we, for, for one reason or another in life, we weren't able to scratch. And so this gives us an outlet. So we're all interested in playing fun and memorable games. And, but we all have differences in life that, that kind of cause impediments. Um, I, I, I wonder about a lot of people that, you know, jump on the site real quick and then they say they're going to run a game or they say they're going to be part of a game and then they ghost shortly thereafter. And I, I think the thing to note is we do, all of us have other commitments and we're here because we have other commitments that limit us to, to focus 100% on the games that we want to play. And this is us trying to fill that inch. So if you're joining the, ga the Gamers Plane and you want to be part of this, I think patience is the biggest thing. You know, we want, we should be patient with each other. We should be helpful to, to each other. And if you're running into issues and you, 
you realize that you don't have the time commitment that you think you do, it's okay. And you can still tell us what's going on without having to belabor us with details. You can say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to do this right now. Um, and, and the community is gonna bounce back and we're, we're going to welcome you back when you're, when you're ready to come back. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I got a couple of random questions for you. Sure. Um, I'm conducting an informal poll with no, not writing anything down, but do you watch sports? I don't watch a lot of sports myself. So like if the Super Bowl's on, I'll watch it. If friends have it on, I enjoy it. I do enjoy sports, but I don't actively watch. Okay. I've noticed in my real life gamer gaming groups that I'm like the only one. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm like 14 or 15 that will watch sports. The rest of them just don't care. Don't, they're not interested. Um, they might watch, you know, an Olympic hockey game or something okay. or a few key games like a Super Bowl. But even then, Super Bowl is mostly lost on them. It's like, <clears throat> so yeah. there, there seems, um, Skeptical Stun had a theory that the, the Venn diagram of sports watchers and gamers were just not touching. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just completely separate, independent, you know. Yeah. Um, I saw this funny meme once that, that said that uh, fantasy football is just Dungeons and Dragons for sports guys. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's sort of true, I guess. You know, I, I enjoy fa fantasy football and fantasy sports, but there's that number crunching statistics element to it, right? And that's that's a big key. For me, the sports are only enjoyable to watch if there's good fundamentals. I don't really enjoy professional sports because sometimes they're just too superhuman to be relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know like part of fantasy sports is being able to assemble your best team and there's this this idea that if you take the best players from all the best teams and put them together something truly remarkable remarkable would happen but if you've ever watched the pro bowl or any kind of um you know game like that like in hockey has the all-star game and whatnot it sucks yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it, they're team sports right they need to play together for you know, hundreds of hours to be able to to anticipate each other to the degree that even mediocre players can excel at. Right. And so you put all stars in in together, and they just don't have that experience, right? Right. <clears throat> and in many of those situations, they are the all star, and they know it. Yeah. So there's egos, you know, being <laughs> in check too. It's, yeah. It's awful. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so you've said that um, you post on, you're working from home now. And throughout this pandemic, but even before then, because I've been on Gamers Plane for a long time, as you have, you know, at least pre-COVID, mm -hmm. um, why is it so quiet on the weekends? I think it's because of what we're, you know, some of the things I mentioned. Like we have uh, other commitments that cause us to, like... I know for me, I'm on my computer a minimum eight hours a day, nine hours a day, right? So I can take a break and 
I, I do data and analysis for work. So while I'm running a SQL query and it's executing, you know, usually sometimes they're not well optimized. It takes a minute, takes a couple minutes. I could check my gamers plane post and I can like curate it and have it on the side while I'm, you know, in between tasks. Can't do that when I'm with my kids. It's a lot harder with the iPhone, like we talked about. I can't, I have a really hard time being a dungeon master on my phone because of these elements that I talked about, like Albert Rodeo for mapping and this and that, screenshotting and whatever else. I can do a quick post, but it's not quite the same depth as being able to do all of that other stuff. And then, you know, kids and families or, you know, maybe people are volunteering. Those are very active things and it's hard to peel away to be able to manage my games. I also have a lot of games. I, I feel like I, I'm like at the limit of gamers playing games that I can handle right now. And so I also feel like, like when I'm doing it, I wanna just go top to bottom, respond to everything that's read. And when you're in those more complicated situations on the weekend, I, I just can't do that. Right. No, that makes sense. <clears throat> I've, I've often thought that most people are using gamers playing at work. And it could be because you'd kind of need to take breaks. No matter what you're doing, you need to kind of reset your head with a mental etch-a-sketch, right? Sure. There, there's, there's ways of doing that to remain optimally productive during the day. And just focusing on a task and just grinding through it isn't, isn't the, necessarily the best way. Gamers Plane may provide some people that minute distraction they need. They can read a post, respond to something, get back to work for half an hour. Um, but then on the evenings and weekends, they're not at the work computer. And so they're just not in that habit. <clears throat> um, like you said, there's lots of fun things happen on weekends, like spending time with your family or getting outside and enjoying things. And mm -hmm. it's hard to it's hard to post when you're playing golf or <laughs> yeah, or family vacations. Like you see people who say that they can't post during the week because they're going to New York or they're going to Paris, and you know, technically we have internet everywhere, but it's that yeah. that time commitment and what we, you know, what we're focused on and what we're doing that takes us away. So. I, I recruited for and launched a game of Solomon, Solomon Kane while on vacation in Mexico. <laughs> 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 it was a family vacation too. It was like my parents were there and my sister and her family. And but in the evenings, you got a little bit of time, right? And like, oh, I could. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we should totally run Solomon Kane. And it got some people together, launched the game. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> right. Well, do you have any uh, questions for me or should we wrap this up? Um, I don't. Okay. I really enjoyed this talk. Yeah, me too. And uh, I was just thinking about you the other day, actually. I was scrolling through Discord and I think we had communicated under your old handle. Mm -hmm. Discord and uh, sometimes I go through that and see these old names like oh, I wonder what happened to that guy so he, he's back <laughs> but under a new name <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I'm your new name. And you pull off the Scooby-Doo mask and, oh, it's, <laughs> it was you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. If it weren't for that pesky crawler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was nice to talk to you, uh, Hero yeah. Among Men, and uh, thank you for joining me, Krawluck, on Player versus Player of Gamers Explain. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Welcome to QQ&AA or Krawluck's Questions and Asks Answers, something like that. Today's question came from Kalajel, who asks, how to, send, how to handle sensitive content? Uh, for example, there are various issues that may come up in game, and how do we really deal with it with around the table or in a play-by-post forum? Um, Kalajel mentioned a number of tools that we have at our disposal, so I'll go through some of those. And this is a fairly important topic, so I hope that um, <clears throat> I do it justice. So the first one is the X card. Now the X card, just Google it, you'll find there is a Creative Commons um, Google Doc that you can find by John Stavarona Plus, something like that. Um, and I'm just going to read to you something from he put on it. At the beginning of each session, he would, might say something like, I'd like your help. Your help to make this game fun for everyone. If anything makes anyone uncomfortable in any way, then he draws an X on an index card. Just lift this card up and, or simply tap it. And I'll place the card in the center of the table. You don't have to explain why. It doesn't matter why. When we lift or tap this card, we simply edit out anything X carded. And if there was ever an issue, anyone can call for break and we can talk privately. I know it sounds funny, but it will help us play amazing games together. Usually I'm the one who uses the X card to take help, to help take care of myself. Please help make this game fun for everyone. Thank you. So again, the, the point here is if somebody feels uncomfortable at something, for any reason, they don't have to have explained in advance that this might make them uncomfortable. Things come up all the time. They simply tap the X card and everybody at the table or in the forum just moves on. They don't acknowledge it. They don't call them on it. They don't ask for an explanation. We just say, this is a sensitive topic. We're moving past it. <clears throat> so the next, the next one we have in the tool set are lines and veils. Now these are two similar things. A line is a hard line in the sand. We might say no children are going to get tortured or nobody's going to get tortured. You know that's just not going to occur in the game. Um, you'll see in some games that people will discuss this, particularly games that can go to dark places such as World of Darkness games. Um, <clears throat> it, discussing these things in advance allows the game master to simply avoid those topics. They don't show up in the game, the other players don't bring it up, and everybody doesn't have to deal with issues that aren't um, agreed upon in advance. A veil is 
a way of dealing with those kinds of um, lines is that if something happens, for example, it is important to the story that something that a line is crossed, you don't need to reveal that in game. You can use a veil, which is like a, a pan away or fade to black moment. For example, maybe there's an execution and you've agreed that there'll be no on screen murders. And so you see the man <clears throat> or the person holding a gun to another person's head. And then the, the um, scene fades away to black and you hear a gunshot. It's not occurred on, doesn't occur on camera. You don't describe it. We've, we use a veil to, to obscure and yet include the moment. Now, the last one is more detailed. And again, I recommend you that you Google it. Um, and it's called a social contract. A social contract is a way of, it's a, it's a, a theory, a social theory. And so we're going to apply it to a role-playing game. A social contract is <clears throat> very often not formal. It can be unspoken, in fact, is that if you play together with your friends long enough, you might know, come to learn things about each other that um, you just avoid. Maybe, maybe somebody is very squeamish around um, body fluids or what have you. It doesn't matter. Um, so you just tacitly be nice people, just avoid those topics or, you know, hide them behind a veil. So these social contracts are kind of like a, an agreement between people at the table and on things to behave. So this could occur in a, a session zero or at the beginning of a play-by-post game where the GM or one of the players brings it up and says, let's talk about lines and veils, or let's talk about using an X card, or maybe we'll set up a genre and a tone in a way that we can all agree upon. So the game re remains true to that. Or maybe we all agree that out of character, questions will be handled in a separate thread in order to keep the actual gameplay thread clean and entirely story-based. Um, all of these things are part of a social contract that uh, we set up with each other. And again, this um, <clears throat> the way that we can in play by post of everything is formalized in writing, at least so much that in that it's discussed that you can just have a separate thread that talks about these things. Um, posting frequency is another one. What happens if a player uh, is incapable of posting in within a two-day time frame? You could say the GM reserves the right to act for them in a you know respectful manner. Um, and lastly, and most difficultly, is group dysfunction. How do we handle disagreements about uh, rules, interpretations, or behavior. And of course, you can't always see all these things happening in advance, and we generally expect that they won't, but having a, a method of addressing this, and maybe it's just the GM reserves the right to um, 
handle disrespectful play in whatever manner they see fit or something more egalitarian. Uh, all of these things are tools that we can use to make our games more enjoyable. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Aussie Action News. Today's headlines delivered yesterday. In a continued trend, there have been no reports of Savage Worlds GMs ghosting. Repeat, no reports. Special Assistant Developer Adams' latest tweaks to the GP engine have resulted in a cascade of games being converted to 5e. Speaking anonymously, Special Assistant Developer Adam has indicated this was a feature and not a bug. Similar tweak to, this, to the site was to allow Powered by the Apocalypse games to be added as an official system. Now this simply allows a game to be, to be classified as PBTA upon creation rather than custom as was done before. And users can then opt to be notified when the PBTA games are created. However, as mentioned earlier, all new PBTA games will in fact be D&D 5th edition. Thank you and this has been Aussie Action News. Hi and welcome to Krolokian Lore. Now even, even I can't say that, Krolokian Lore. All right, so today I want to talk about notes. Now, you might have heard on uh, Aussie Action News that there have been a number of features that have been implemented to the uh, Gamers Play site. And so one of those is a alteration to the way notes work. Now, what is a note? Well, a note, as you can see here on the screen, is a hidden message. Now, by default, anybody who sends a note can see the message, the game master can always see the message, and the recipients can see it send the message. So how do you make a note? Well, you can type it out. So square bracket note equals the name uh, Machiavelli. Let's gang up on Rune can dig. Rune can dig and take over and then square bracket slash note. Right, so you can type that, that's BB code. That's the codes you use to make the note, but there's a new way to do it. And so if I hover over this little pink page icon, you can see that a drop-down box shows up and I can click people. I can click multiple people and then I can click add note. Now you can see that <clears throat> the BB code uh, has just been added automatically. Now this is particularly useful if your users have strange and obscure names that nobody can really pronounce or spell correctly two times in a row. So uh, there you go. Hover on the note, you can click a couple of people, then click add note and it just adds the BB code. And so then, you can hit post and you can see that the uh, 
the, uh, the notes are there. Now, again, to anybody else that isn't a game master, it's just going to show up as note to Machiavelli and then no text. And the second one will show a note to bold spinach Machiavelli. And again, no text. The actual text in there is hidden. And something else that should be noted. <clears throat> get it? See what I did there? Something else that sh should be talked about is that in making this adjustment to notes, uh, an issue was corrected where certain tags, certain BB code tags within the note itself, such as the OOC or out of character tag, would render anything after the tag to be visible to everybody, which you know is completely against the point of the note. So apparently that's been fixed. I haven't tried it, never really, um, never really did that all that much. And so, but notes are useful. And thank you very much for joining Kralokian Lore. Thank you for joining me on episode six of Gamers Explain. I'd like to thank Hero Among Men for joining me in a great conversation. It's good to reconnect with you guys for, uh, it's been a long time since we chatted. Um, I'd like to thank Calagel for the excellent and timely uh, suggestion for QQNAA. I've got a lot of great ones lined up and this one just seemed to be one I wanted to tackle right away. Um, next week, I've got Antiproduct from the island of Crete will be joining me. And we chatted for about an hour. And then we chatted for almost two hours after that offline. So uh, it was really great to um, spend some time with him. And he's got some great insights on things like integrating Discord into Gamers Play. Um, once again, it's the time where I ask you to hit like and subscribe and maybe even hit that little notification button. And I didn't ask last week, but you should probably go ahead and roll two D12s. And why? Because D12s are awesome. Also, next time, try not being yourself. Oh, that's a note for me. Sorry. <laughs> again, I'm looking forward to sharing you with my interview with Antiproduct next Friday. And thank you once again for joining me. This is Krolock and Gamers Explained.